This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, an author, and an executive coach. And today, I am delighted to welcome Mary Frances Winters to the show. Mary Frances will share how justice is a newer concept in the corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and how to actualize it. Mary Frances, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm really excited about this conversation. It's so important. And I want to pick at the justice term right off the bat because your new book does add that to this beautiful acronym that we usually call diversity, equity, inclusion. Sometimes we add the B for belonging, but you're adding the J for justice. So help this global audience understand what that is and why. Yes, thank you so much for asking. Yes, I've been doing this work now for almost 40 years, and we started with the D for diversity, which just means how we're similar and different. And then we added inclusion, recognizing that it's just not enough to bring people who have different perspectives and different backgrounds into the workplace, but we needed to find ways to enhance their sense of belonging and inclusion. So I think belonging and inclusion for me are pretty synonymous, right? How can we create environments that respect and value those differences, understand those differences? And then equity is about understanding that different people need different things. Justice takes it one step further to say, how are we going to correct the harm that has been done to a number of what we call marginalized communities or oppressed communities or communities that have been minoritized over the years? How do we create justice so that we indeed do level the playing field? Excellent. You know, it's interesting because clearly egregious things have been going on throughout time, but the, the summer of 2020 when George Floyd was murdered by police and we we watched it on television, it seems to me that that was a, a moment in time that that changed things. And do you sense that organizations are more clued in to the necessity of DEIJ work now? And if so, what are they asking for? Well... We thought that it was truly a racial reckoning in 2020, because as you probably know, and and listeners probably know, many organizations pledged that they were going to actually focus on the racial part of diversity, because diversity is about race and gender and gender identity, but recognizing that race relations and that racism, structural racism, really had not been addressed well Many organizations said, we're going to make this a focus. They made pledges. They sent out statements, you know, to the whole world. So we thought that it was going to be a movement. Then I thought, well, maybe it's just a moment. And now I'm afraid it really is just a memory. Because most of those organizations that have pledged and had said that they were going to do this are backpedaling. Um, New priorities have come to light. We've got so many things going on in the world these days that organizations have to attend to. And I think that there was a lot of pushback, people saying things like, well, why are we just focusing on race? We need to focus on the other dimensions of diversity um, as as well. 
Um, people saying, well, we're just not uncomfortable, you know, with race. One of my other books is called, we can't talk about that at work, how to talk about race, religion, politics, and other polarizing topics. So people are uncomfortable, particularly with the discussion um, around race because of our very complex and difficult history, particularly in the United States around race. So I'm here to say that we are still doing work and what the work is, you asked that question, the work has started with audit work. It's like, let us look at our organization with that, ju with that justice lens. Who benefits from our policies and practices and who is harmed by our policies and practices potentially? And how can we change them so that they work for all? Mary Frances, I have, have done my research on you, and it's fascinating. In addition to reading your, your incredible new book, and by the way, it's your seventh book for our global audience, you are quite prolific in your writing. You believe in opening doors and amplifying marginalized voices and their allies, in your words. So help this audience understand what performative diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice works looks like. And Taking it a step deeper, how does that become meaningful and impactful? Yes, yeah, so performative includes the programmatic kinds of things that organizations do. They form a diversity council. They form employee resource groups or affinity groups. Um, they put together um, mentoring programs. They put together um, hiring, hiring you know, goals. And those things are all sort of discrete kinds of programs. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them. However, those programmatic issues very rarely get to the roots. I think of this big old oak tree that has these deep roots that perpetuate um, some, of the, some of the inequities. So let me give you an example that, um, that is in the book because we take the book beyond human resources um, solutions as well. So when you think about an organization that has a program around supplier diversity. And that means that they're looking at who, who, the, who their vendors are for the various services or products that they would buy. And is that diverse? Do we have women vendors? Do we have Black-owned vendors? Do we have you know, LGBTQ vendors? Do we have vendors that represent those groups that have been marginalized over the years? And so an organization set goals. Well, for the procurement office then, decides um, how we're going to set policies around working with any of our vendors. So sometimes they have a 30-day payment plan. I'm, we're going to get paid in 30 days. Sometimes it's 60 days. Sometimes it's 90 days. And even now it's 120 days. So if you're a small, let's just say a small Black-owned business, and you can't wait 120 days to get paid because you don't have that um, capital. And you may not have resources at a bank because, again, you don't qualify with all of the um, criteria that the bank would want for you to get a line of credit. Well, then you're going to go out of business. And we know from statistics that 50 to 60 um, percent of minority owned businesses actually don't last more than a couple of years. So that's an example of a system, right? So you've got the system at the company that's saying, so who benefits from that? The organization benefits by keeping their money longer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and who can, who's hurt by that? The small business, because they don't get the money and they don't have access to be able to get the money. So that's um, an example of a system that can harm and how, and we can correct that system. So 
in working with leaders, because what I understand is that your company and the book in particular is is helping organizations look at DEIJ from a systemic lens, as you just said. Do you ever get pushback from leaders that say, no, I don't think so. I don't think we need this or, or are most willing and on board? Well, when we get hired, they're on board to a certain extent, or they wouldn't hire a consulting firm such as the Winters Group, you know, to do to do this work. However, once we get in and we say, this is what a justice-centered approach looks like, that's when we get the pushback, where leaders are saying, no, we're not ready to make that kind of change. Let me give you an example there. We do pay equity studies, and we all know that women are still paid less than men all around all around the world for similar work. So when we do a pay equity study and we find that in fact there are inequities for women and we say here's what you can do to correct it, that correction if you're talking about justice would be back pay going back to the point in time the person was hired or the point in time where that discrepancy happened. So we have clients who are willing to say, okay, we're going to level the playing field now. However, we're not willing or we don't have the budget to do back pay. And in addition, what I have heard from clients is the reason that this particular group is paid less is because they didn't ask for more. So justice would be no, they didn't negotiate well. So justice would be not requiring people to have whatever negotiating skills you feel are the, the appropriate negotiating skills, but looking at your salary structure and your salary bands and saying, even though this person didn't ask for more, this is where they should be paid based on where we're paying men. So if we did that, we wouldn't continue to have pay inequities. So I hope that's a good example. Oh, that's a great example. Great example. Mary Frances, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDH work. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDH work. the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful to hear about these examples because it, it puts it all in context. And DEIJ is a, is a big nut to crack, and it, and it takes a developmental approach 
to this work. And you write so beautifully in the book that everyone starts at a different place. So you and your colleagues want to meet leaders where they are. And I imagine this happens when you're considering working with an organization. Do you sense the apprehension of chains? And and how do you help them build those skills to understand why justice in this case really matters? How do you help them understand? So part of the way that we do that, Caroline, is we start with the history. If we can share some of the history and how we are perpetuating history, how things have not necessarily changed that much, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout the time that we have decided that we want to be an equitable world. So that's a good place to start. The other place to start is with the organization's values. So that an organization has a value of respect, perhaps an organization may have a value of inclusion. And so we take them right to those values and we ask them, what does that look like for you? What are the behaviors that are associated with those values. How will you know when you are actually actualizing those values? What what will tell you that that is happening? So the developmental process is meeting the organization, you know, where they are. And they may be, there's a continuum that that we use that says they may be at denial, they may be at polarization, minimization, acceptance, or adaptation from the intercultural development uh, continuum. And most people are at minimization and minimization is the assumption that we're really all just alike. We're just really all the same. And I'm just going to treat everybody the same, but we know equity is not about that. Equity is about treating people based on their needs. And then justice is about correcting that harm. So if we can engage uh, leaders with the history that many of them, you know, don't, don't know, and uh, also align it to their values, then we can get some traction for systemic change, but we are going to get resistance. And we have a whole program around managing resistance, saying that resistance is natural and normal. It's human nature. When you are trying to um, create a change like this, that resistance. And so we help organizations anticipate the resistance and then manage the resistance. Actually, Kevin Carter from my team wrote two chapters in the book on anticipating and managing the resistance. That's a perfect segue because you have some incredible contributors in the book and you you collectively write on the the weaponization of racial racial justice. Excuse me. Tell tell me more about that. The weaponization of racial justice concepts. So we are seeing this now um, with the efforts to ban discussions of diversity. So Florida has most recently legislated a ban on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida. Um, Ron DeSantis is calling them discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination programs. I think that there's a misunderstanding about what these programs do uh, in higher education and in organizations because there are many, many studies that have been done, empirical evidence that in fact, um, that in fact, companies do better. Their bottom line is better when they attend to diversity, equity, um, and inclusion. More women in leadership have have shown that the bottom line in organizations um, is is actually um, better. More ethnic diversity, where you have different cultures who are, can talk about different market segments, you know, in their own countries. And so the weaponization is by 
telling by giving misinformation about what this is, because that misinformation basically is saying that diversity, equity, inclusion is divisive. And it is absolutely just the opposite. If I understand my coworker better because I understand their cultural norms or the cultural differences, then I, then we're going to work together better. We're not going to have, we're going to increase efficiency because it's not going to take as long for us to, you know, to get to common ground. And so it, 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 it is, that's the weaponization. It's taking concepts like critical race theory and critical race theory is, has never been taught in K through 12. It's a college level academic kind of a concept that basically was asking, since we've had all these laws around equality, let's critic, let's, let's, let's uh, be critical about it and study it to understand why we haven't made the progress. And so that's what I mean by the weaponization um, and demonization of uh, uh, racial equity terms. There are groups out there that are trying to make it a negative where diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion is all about harmony. It's all about unity. It's all about getting coming together, you know, for greater understanding. I mean, we're, we're all on this planet, so we may as well try to learn how to live together on this planet. That's what diversity, equity, and inclusion is about. Exactly right. And Mary Frances, we were talking right before the show, and, and you shared something really poignant. You said, I, I want to help people be hopeful and inspired to understand that, it's tough out there right now. There's so much polarization, exclusion, hate, but there's room for hope. So knowing that your sentiment and the resources in this book are all about putting this into action, what's a first step that an individual or an organization can take to create that, that brave space for DEIJ experiences? So the first step for an individual is really um, self understanding, self-awareness. Why do I believe what I believe? Where did those beliefs come from? How open am I to understanding others who might have different beliefs because they've come from somewhere else? How does my race, my gender, my gender identity influence how I see the, how I see the world? So it really is taking stock of yourself first. And we have some recommendations and some ideas um, in the book, specific ideas about how to do that. And then from an organizational perspective, it is that audit. It is conducting a comprehensive uh, audit that looks at your data in very different ways. It looks at your data from a justice lens, which saying, again, who are we harming? Who might we be harming by our policies and who might be benefiting? And then there are certain groups who get the benefit and certain groups who um you know, who are not who are not benefiting. As an example, why do many corporate CEOs make 250 times more than the lowest paid worker? I would want organizations and we and invite organizations to just take a look at that. And why is yeah. there that big discrepancy? So that's what we mean when we talk about justice. It's about fairness. It's about creating a world that works for all. And, and I hear transparency in there, right? Let, let's be clear. Exactly. It ha there has to be transparency. Organizations have to be willing to be transparent um, and accountable. And I will tell yeah. you that Gen, Gen Z is the youngest uh, generation in the workplace. They're demanding it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good because they're holding us accountable, quite honestly. So I'm, I'm appreciative of, of that, of their demand. Yes. 
Mary Frances, I see DEI programs popping up like mushrooms everywhere. Some of them are great. Some of them are less than. And I get it. It's a work in progress. There's always room for improvement. So knowing you've got a global listening audience today, what's one nugget that you would share with this audience to help them improve upon a current DEI practice that maybe just is less than engaging? So first of all, I would want to dispel the myth that diversity and particularly racial diversity is only a U.S. phenomenon. It is not. It is something that um, spans the globe. People who are darker skinned all over the world are typically treated less favorably than people who are lighter skinned. And there's all sorts of evidence and all sorts of of research that, that supports that. So first of all, I would like the listeners to understand that this is a global issue. It's not a U.S. issue. There's a group that is excluded in every society, there's an in-group and an out-group in every single society. It may not be based on ethnicity, but oftentimes it is. And so that would be that would be the, the first thing. And so the first step would be to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that there is an in-group and an out-group, and that, that out-group is probably um, disproportionately not receiving the same kind of life experience as the as the in-group. That's so helpful. And thank you for putting it in the global context. And certainly you've got a global listening audience today. Mary Frances Winters, I learned so much from you, and I'm grateful that you shared your time and expertise on the show today. Your book is extraordinary. It's called Racial Justice at Work. Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And as I said earlier, Mary Frances, you are a prolific writer and you have, this is your seventh book and you have incredible information that you put out into the world. How can this listening audience continue to engage with you after today's show? Yes, thank you. I think the best way would be at our website, wintersgroup.com, www.wintersgroup.com would be the best way to engage. Awesome. Mary Frances, I wish you continued success and I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Be well. You too. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms and I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.